Century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada. We're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, taken deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates Eric Cole. He cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast with me, Dean Duplessis. And in this podcast, we are going to be reflecting on an incredible achievement from a South African perspective because they have come from behind to win a three test match series against India and I can assure you not many people would have given him any chance at best maybe it could have been 2-1 or many people felt that it would have been 2-1 to India or 3-0 to India but guess what it ended up being 2-1 to South Africa so uh, the test match is done and dusted South Africa winning very comfortably by seven wickets just a couple of an hour or so after lunch on the fourth day and with me to discuss all the well the series in its entirety is a man who was uh, actually on the podcast on new year's eve michael abramson down in south africa how are you doing michael welcome back hello dean thank you so much feels like a year ago when we lost it was actually only two weeks ago so lovely to be back and lovely to celebrate a win not only for south africa but i think for test cricket in general it was a fabulous test series well if you really want to be very specific it it was a year ago wasn't it because it is the 31st of december (laughs) so yeah absolutely (laughs) yes indeed yeah absolutely so as you rightly say it's it's i think test cricket in general there are so many people who have so many negative things to say about test cricket but I think what we've seen over the last couple of uh, test matches, the first test between Bangladesh and New Zealand, Bangladesh winning that one, admittedly New Zealand really came back strongly in the second test. And then, of course, this fantastic series. I wonder if this isn't going to be the series of the year. We are only in early January, but goodness me, there was a whole bunch of toing and froing in this series, wasn't there? Oh, Dean, absolutely. I mean, there were so many situations during this test series where one thought, okay, India have taken the match away from South Africa. They've just had a really good half session, mini session, 20 minute period or whatever it was. And the way South Africa came back and fought their way back time after time after time, this young side with many inexperienced players, it was just phenomenal. And two run chases, both over 200 against that much vaunted Indian attack, and both achieved very comfortably for the loss of just three wickets each time. So I think uh, a huge, huge commendations to the South African side, to the management, to everybody involved, the psychologist who's obviously doing an amazing job, and, and the players out there who went out there and had the belief and the strong mindset to be able to resist, see out the tough periods, and steer it home for South Africa comfortably in the end, uh, although I think anything but comfortable on the journey to the, the 2-1 series win, but a, a massive win for South Africa that will give them huge confidence going into a tough series away in New Zealand in a couple of weeks' time. And that's the thing, though, Michael, is although South Africa won the second and third test matches very convincingly, if you look at it, I mean, seven wickets in, inside four days in any man's language, mm. that is a proper hiding, to be honest with you, but... It wasn't as one-sided. So in 20 or 30 years' time, somebody will look at the the scorebook and they will say, goodness me, another disappointing tour was had by India when they toured South Africa. But far from it, because both teams, especially the seamers, well, I mean, they were absolutely outstanding, weren't they? 
Oh, dude, it's, there was, there's so many moments to talk about. No doubt we'll unpack those yeah. over this podcast. But so many times, then even as 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 recently as yesterday on day three of the of the test match with Rishabh Pant coming in and playing that astonishing innings. He scored over 50% of the runs, and that includes the extras. He got 100 out of his team score of 198. And you just felt that as he was motoring and smashing Maharaj out the park a couple of times and doing what he needed to do, every run was just taking it further and further away from South Africa. And the application that they showed to turn that around within uh, literally a session uh, and to get the momentum on their side was astonishing and there were so many moments like that in all three test matches maybe to a lesser extent in the centurion test first up when india had a marvelous first day that i think set the tone for that series for africa or for that test match rather and south africa never really came back in that first test match but since then the application shown by both sides and the commitments and the the intensity was just unrivaled and it's probably one of the best if not the best test series i've, I've witnessed yeah, I mean, it, definitely one of the best. I couldn't agree more with you. And I think, to be honest with you, it was one of the... I don't recall there being a better test series in South Africa. And I'm just thinking very, very quickly off the top mm. of my head. You know, so, I mean, you you certainly will remember situations where South Africa did come from behind. My, my first recollection of South Africa coming from behind to win a test series was back in 1994-95, if you remember, New Zealand won the first yes. match at the Wanderers. Yes, yes. Uh, Shane Thompson had a particularly good time with, with his off-spinners in South Africa's se- second innings. But then in Durban and in Cape Town, the South Africans came storming back, and New Zealand didn't play particularly good cricket. But in this instance, although England, uh, India were beaten on, on both occasions by seven wickets, we've just alluded to outstanding, really on-the-edge-of-your-seat, nail-biting uh, type, uh, you know, brand of test cricket that we've witnessed. So I would say certainly in terms of South African soil, in my uh, limited knowledge of South African cricket and so on, I, I don't think I've seen anything better. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I remember South Africa had that wonderful chase in Durban in a match I was commentating on many years ago against Australia, which is 340 yes. Yes. in the final innings to win that test match there have been many memorable moments over the course of the last what is it 20 25 30 years now probably since south africa are back into playing test match cricket but i agree with you this series had everything in it they that had controversial moments that had fun moments that had players really standing up and stepping into their roles and doing it superbly it had players you expected to perform who didn't perform uh, and others from whom there were maybe lower expectations who performed unbelievably. And I think that's what made it so riveting all the way along. In fact, um, just to uh, let you know what was going on in my head during the series, and maybe we can discuss this a little bit mm. later. Yes, I tried yes. to, at the, at, uh, as the test match was sort of winding down to its conclusion, I tried to pick a best 11 based on players from both sides. And maybe we can have a look at that. Interestingly enough, my best 11 would have six Indians in it and only five South Africans. But we can talk about that a little later on. But so many moments of just intense, wonderful test match cricket. And anybody who who wasn't a connoisseur of test match cricket or didn't appreciate the moments that happened within the game, surely must look at this series and appreciate it now. I, I think we're going to get into your 11 very shortly. But, you know, you were talking of the lighter moments because there were a few lighter moments. Do you know what I really enjoyed on the third day of the test match? Shortly after lunch, Virat Kohli yes. 
was it the third day or the second day? It must have been... No, it was the second day. Yes, indeed, the 12th of January. Uh, I know that uh-huh. because that was the anniversary of my father's passing. But what I really appreciated so much um, was Vera Kohli with the hand clap. Um, so shortly after lunch, and Jasper Boomer mm-hmm. was getting into a bit of a roll. And, and you know the... Yes, clap yes, that he was yes, doing, yes. And, and he got the rest of the players doing that. I absolutely loved that from from a blind person's perspective, because obviously you you will uh, visually see a lot of things happening on television that obviously doesn't mm-hmm. have any sound unless you have a microphone right up close and personal. But the way that Virat Kohli started that that um, rhythmic clapping, and even some of the support, the I don't know, were there crowds there, Michael? It sounded like there were maybe people in member boxes in 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 corporate boxes or something of that nature. Um, but even yes, they, were, they started doing there was, it as there well. Were, there were, the, member, the boxes were open at all right. three venues, as right. far as I'm aware, but uh, certainly no, no paying spectators, if you like, or people coming in and sitting, for example, under the oaks or yeah. in the old railway stand or anything like that. That wasn't the case. So there were small amounts of people, certainly nowhere near capacity. I'd put it probably at about maybe 10%, mm-hmm. if that. So you could hear what was going on on the field. The stump mics picked up a lot more and atmosphere needed to be created from somewhere. And as you say, the Indians did a fantastic job of trying to G their lads up uh, on the field with that rhythmic clapping and with the intensity of everything and all the moments in the test match that just uh, came towards this riveting conclusion, if you like. <laughs> I think it is absolutely magnificent. Speaking of stump mics, Michael Abramson, let's talk a bit about... <laughs> Virat Kohli, who um, had a bit of a meltdown, shall we say. So what was your opinion initially? Did you, when you saw the... the so this is um, Ravichand and Ashwin bowling to Dean Alga. And um, Hawkeye judged that the ball went would have gone on to have bounced, gone over the top. So not to hit the stumps. Virat Kohli, he lost it completely. And uh, some of the remarks that he said were on the lines of the national broadcaster who were a bit biased towards, you know, towards South Africa being the home broadcaster. And then he said, the whole world is against India with DRS. Um, What did you make of that? Uh, Quite a lot, actually. Uh, Firstly, let's let's put it in perspective. The the umpire in question, the on-field umpire, Maria Rasmus, had, for me, the most brilliant test series. I think other than that decision, which is totally forgivable, because I think everybody thought it was out when we first saw it. I don't think Maria got one decision wrong in the three test matches that he stood. I thought Adrian Holstock and Alo Din Palika, who were the other umpires standing in this series, were excellent as well. And I think the standard of officialing and officiating was excellent throughout. So I don't think there can be any complaints in that regard. I thought that the umpires were extremely fair and did their job to the maximum capacity. In terms of that decision, when we first saw it, it looked pretty much plum, and the Indians would have felt aggrieved having seen that and having watched the replay. I think there was a gasp from everybody when there was a green line showing that the ball was going over the top of the stumps. It certainly didn't look to be the case. But Supersport, the broadcasters, have since issued a statement saying that they have absolutely no control over the Hawkeye cameras. It's done by the ICC. It's done by an independent body. And it is certainly not open to manipulation. And I think any suggestion in that regard is way off the mark and orders on t- taking the game or bringing the game into disrepute. And as far as we know, match referee Andy Pycroft, who of course is one of your own, yep. uh, will, uh, as far as we know, nothing has yet, no action has, has yet been taken, but I'm sure he will have something to say about that. And I expect 
some fairly severe repercussions to happen down the line, maybe a test match ban or a significant fine or whatever it is, because that behavior is unacceptable. And Cody stepped over to the stump mic and deliberately went and spoke into the stump mic to make his feelings heard to everybody who was watching around the world. And I think uh, I'm all for intensity and I'm all for the passion that he has. And Coley is one of the most passionate out there and he gives it his all. And absolutely, you can lose it in moments when it, a test series is on the line. And especially given the fact that India have never won a test series in South Africa and they had a chance to make history in that regard. There was a massive amount up for grabs. One thinks back to the sandpaper incident in the Australian series about four years ago. Also a key, key test match series. And Australia took, took it to another level and we all know what happened in in terms of that saga so the intensity is obviously out there to beat south africa in south africa it's it's a massive achievement but if they can get it right but the way that he reacted and the way that some of the other indian players reacted was totally uh, really um off the scale it was embarrassing for test match cricket it certainly brought the game into disrepute you've got viewers all around the world watching and the fact that the stump mics were able to pick it up and it was deliberately targeted towards the stump mic and also the accusations that the host broadcaster was deliberately cheating in favor of the home side is just way off the mark. And I certainly hope that some action is taken because that's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And I know that there are various other people, for example, Daryl Cullinan, who a former great South African test batsman has, has been very, very vocal in that regard. A lot of former test players have said that they are unhappy unhappy sort of on the on the mild end of the scale to infuriate it at the other end of the scale with in terms of how Cody's reacted even Sanjay Mandraka was critical of the way that the Indian captain uh, addressed his emotions at that moment so I don't think we've heard the end of this yet but it was unfortunate because it did put a damper on what was otherwise a very very a well-competed test series, I think a, a well-played test series, good spirit between the sides. They obviously have a lot of respect for one another, and that was evident throughout. But moments like this is what the series didn't need. And to question umpiring decisions or to question broadcast decisions or whatever that is, is just uh, brings the game into disrepute and it left a very, very bad taste as far as I was concerned. It'll be interesting to see what the level of punishment will be. Uh, and whether match referee Andy Pycroft will be allowed to do his job uninhibited and whether mm. we maybe wouldn't have mm. the BCCI step in and maybe say you can't do this because of uh, XYZ. It, it really will be very interesting to see because certainly, as you, as you say, I mean, it's one thing being passionate, but it's another thing when you go below the belt, uh, which is what Coley unfortunately did. But I mean, all right, Michael, so that's done, it's dusted, it's finished. Uh, we we mm -hmm. certainly can't do any more about it. But what we can do is uh, we can let the listeners listen to your 11. So you have picked a 11, combination of Indian and South African players. I am licking my lips and rubbing my hands <laughs> in anticipation to hear this. Well, it's it's interesting because there were at the start of the series, I suppose there were many players who would have walked into a best eleven from both sides. For example, Cheteshwar Pujara uh, would have been a shoe in at number three. I thought Duan Ulifia would have been a shoe in in, in terms of the, the bowling attack, and Aiden Markram would certainly have had a say in terms of opening batting. None of those players make my my best eleven based on the series and based how how things have panned out. So I think. Um, it's an interesting exercise for our listeners and people following the podcast to maybe write down what, what they think in terms of their best 11. But for me, based on how the series turned out, I would go as follows. My openers would be KL Rahul, who I think had a fantastic series, didn't maybe perform as well in the last test, but 
certainly set up the series and set up that win at Centurion, played beautifully at the Wanderers as well and got his side off to good starts more often than not. I thought he was excellent. And also the way he came in and captained the side when Cody had to pull out at the Wanderers. So he gets the one opening spot and then Mr. Courageous, Dean Elgar, walks ah. into the other opening spot. I mean, that is a wicket that India valued so much. He's, he's an ugly batsman to watch and I think he'll admit that in a hundred times if you were to ask him. He's not elegant in terms of his stroke play, but boy, has he got courage. He takes them on the body. He sets such an example and his wicket is so prized. And I think the one or two occasions when India were able to dismiss Elgar cheaply was such a significant moment for them. So those are my openers, Kale Rahul and, and uh, Dean Elgar. I would have liked Aiden Markram to be in there, but unfortunately, I think there are too many deficiencies in Markram's technique. And for me, he's... Uh, He's either got to sort those out or he's got to bat down the order. I think he would be an ideal number four at the moment in the test side. I think South Africa have to look at that opening position um, because too many times Markram is being found out. Yes, he looks fantastic and his cover drive is among the best in the business. It's aesthetically pleasing and it's beautiful to watch. And he's got the clip off the pads through mid-wicket and he, he plays the most elegant looking shots. But he's so vulnerable so many times to the LBW, to the ball that nips back and bowls him when he t t tends to leave alone. His judgment is not always exact. And he often gets caught nicking off as well. Um, so I think that's, that's an issue for me that South Africa are going to have to address going forward. I would like Markram to stay in the side but I'd like him to bat maybe at number four, which we can talk about that later on as well. Then my number three, well, Keegan Peterson, man of the series. What a find this, this young man is. He's was just superb. First test, 15 and 17, got starts in both innings, never took it on. But then he had a 62, a 72 and an 82. And the 72 and 82 in, in Cape Town in wonderfully, uh, wonderful innings in very, very tough conditions. Also made 28 and a very valuable 28 in that run chase at the Wanderers. So got in, didn't get out cheaply in any of the innings that he played, got in, got a start, and three times out of six took it on. And as a result, his test average now uh, must be approaching 50, I would imagine, even though he didn't do maybe as well as he would have liked in the West Indies in his first two tests. He's certainly knocking on the door. Yeah. So maybe next test in New Zealand, he'll make 92. And then in the <laughs> test thereafter, 102, 102 because he yeah. seems to be progressing in 10. So that would be my number three. That would be my number three. Sorry, Dean, I know this is a long answer, but well, I'm just going to go through no, it. No, 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 no. I, 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 I like it. I like this. your explanation. Number four, obviously, is Virat Kohli. Uh, just uh, a prized wicket and a wonderful batsman. The way he batted yesterday, I think he went over an hour and scored just two runs. Uh, just a phenomenal application, realized that he had to blunt the South African attack. He knows when to attack, he knows when to defend, he uh, reads the game so well and it takes exceptional bowling to get rid of him. So he walks into the number four spot. Number five, I thought maybe uh, to drop Sheteshwa Pujara to number five to create space for him, but I think I'm going to go with Temba Bavuma here. I think Bavuma's attitude, his calmness at the crease and the way he played in tough situations, he's just got everything. And he's back at the ground where he made his test debut and it was um, rather made his, his test debut 100 um, in his yeah. test career, what was it, about five, six years ago. I remember 2016, on that January so 2016. And yes. it was a fabulous thing. So he gets the number five spot. Number six would go to Richard Punt. I think he's, he's keeping with solid. He makes a lot of noise. He's actively in the game, but he can take the game away from you. And also you need a few left-handers in there as well. So that's something I think the South African order have to look at. They have only one left-hander effectively in their top eight. So... Bringing Punt in gives them a, a left hand, gives the combined side a left handed option at number six. 
Number seven uh, would probably be Ravi Ashwin for me. Um, if you look at the two spinners, there's no doubt Ashwin is by far the, the better quality bowler. So I would, and also he contributes quite usefully with the bat. So he would be my number seven. And then eight, nine, 10, and 11 would, would be my fast bowlers. And I think they sort of pick themselves for in any order, however you want to bat them. I would go Bumrah and Shami without question for from the Indian side, and then Rabada and this new find of this, this um, Marius Janssen, who has, was absolutely incredible, the way he just came on and performed and also gives the side a left-handed option in terms of bowling. So that would be my 11, so just to go through it again, and then Dean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I would go Rahul and Elga to open, Peterson at three, Kohli uh, um, at four, then I would go Bavuma ahead of Cheteshwa Pujara, who would just miss out. I think he's missed out, uh, played too many innings where he got out cheaply in the series. Then I would go Punt, Ashwin, and then probably Janssen, Rabada, Shami, and Bumrah. That would be my combined 11. Yeah, uh, I, for me personally, I couldn't fault that at all. Um, as you hear the rain bucketing down outside here in Harare, <laughs> wonderful to have the rain. Um, but no, I think you're absolutely right, Michael. T to me, that that's a nice balance. Um, I love the fact that you brought Ravi Ashwin in at number seven because you know, he really is a super cricketer. And it's just we didn't see the best of him because the pitchers didn't quite allow him to do that. Um, but even at times, he did actually bowl very well. What I really enjoy about Ashwin is the bounce that he gets. You know, in my opinion, bounce is always a spinner's best friend. And he gets that. And he's so useful with the bat. I mean, not many people remember that he has five test match hundreds to his name. So he can play. And, and he's got them against good quality teams as well. So Ravi Ashwin can play. And, and I'm loving the fact that you are endorsing Kevin Peterson batting at number three. It is true that he does get himself out. Even at domestic cricket, I think he'll be disappointed with some of his dismissals. But goodness me, Michael, I, I actually don't know when last I've been so excited about a batter than watching... Keegan Peterson, um, he he's got a very sound and solid technique. His his cover drive is also beautiful. He's not afraid to whip the ball through the leg side either. And what I like about him is that although he he definitely goes into that zone where a lot of people seem to think that there he reminds him of Jacques Callas, um, but he's he's able to also up the ante if need be. You know he finds ways of scoring runs and and so yeah. I, I want to get back to Dean Alga. Very happy that you have Dean Alga there. Who's your captain, by the way, Dean Alga or Virat Kohli? I think it would probably have to be Kohli just yeah. in terms of his test yeah, match experience absolutely. and the fact yeah. that he... Uh, his leadership qualities. I mean, you couldn't really fault his test captaincy other than perhaps after lunch on day four when I have no idea why he continued to bowl Yadav who looked completely non-threatening and just uh, allowed South Africa to cruise to victory after lunch. Maybe the Indians had already decided by then that it was all over. Maybe Bumrah was completely spent having had two long sessions of bowling in the morning. I don't know if that's the case, but really to, to bowl Yadav after lunch was disappointing for me and Ashwin from the other end, given that he was bowling to two right-handers. I thought that was a bit questionable and he wasn't turning the ball that much. But uh, other than that, I think Cody's captaincy throughout the series has been excellent. So it would be a toss-up, but I would give it to Cody. No, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, you know what? Vera Cody was very, very humble at the presentation as well. You know, I, I have to be honest with you. I thought he was going to have another go at the broadcasters, but that, that captaincy level then came through. So a lot of people questioned Dean Alga talking quite randomly about uh, KG Rabada, which, quote, who, quote, needed a rocket after the second <laughs> test in Johannesburg. Um, and I honestly thought that Virat Kohli would do something similar, you know, and, and 
go to town in terms of of the DRS and so on but he took it on the chin and he spoke very very humbly and uh, I thought very respectfully of the South African so I agree with you Vera Kohli as captain I don't think anybody will fault that but I want to talk about Dean Elgar do you know he reminds me a lot of Kepler Vessels, that Kepler Vessels, Alan Border-esque sort of, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that they both, well, all of them are left-handers, neither particularly pretty to watch, neither, you know, exceptionally well-built, so they're quite small, but they are incredibly resourceful and tough, both physically and mentally, all of them, Kepler Vessels, Alan Border and Dean Algar. Dean, I think you make an excellent point there. I think that's a very valid comparison. Uh, just the word I would use for all three of those is doer, D-O-U-R, in terms of the fact that they their wicket is prized. They don't give their wicket away. They, they're not elegant to watch, as you say. They don't have the classic cover drives, the classic pulls, the classic square cuts. But, boy, are they effective. They can work the ball into gaps. Their wicket, as I say, is so prized. They prepare to take knocks on the body. They prepare to guts it out when situations are tough. And they make it so hard for the opposition to dismiss them. Another one that I, I remember maybe in the, uh, not not maybe on as as high a level and nearly as of the quality of the three that we mentioned, but another player I remember was Nuggety, was Doggard on the on the Rebel Tour. Just to go back to that is Greg Shepherd, the diminutive Greg Shepherd. Oh, he used yes. to come in and just yes. get hit all over the place, used to bat with a chest guard yeah. and almost had more, uh, more protection on him than the rest of the team put together. But he just stuck it out there and took knocks all over the place. So I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Um, and Elgar has been a phenomenal leader. I mean, he's had to come in, he's had to take over, and he's done a, a wonderful job in setting the, 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 the aims of the team by example, the way he batted in that run chase at the Wanderers, the way he got his team moving. As you met, you've alluded to the, the talk that he gave to KG Rabada just to get him G'd up, and boy, did KG uh, become a different player after that. He was he tore open that Indian batting at the Wanderers and he destroyed the Indian batting in this test match as well with some brilliant deliveries. So um, absolutely, Dean Elgar, take a pat on the back. It's, uh, it was fantastic, fantastic leadership all around. The only thing that did disappoint me slightly is that you mentioned how well Kohli handled the, the post-match conference and I totally agree with you. I think he maybe he was told, don't say anything yeah, to steer so. clear of the controversy. We don't need more fines coming your way or anything like that. So, But he handled that really well. The only thing that disappointed me slightly about Elgar is Elgar was so basking in the moment of the South African win, he made no reference to to the Indian team. And it would have been nice for him just to say something something nice about the Indian team, given the spirit between the sides. The same thing sort of wrangled with me the way Graham Smith uh, conducted his press conference after the 438 game when uh, Australia were very uh, or paying paying huge compliments to South Africa and South Africa in turn said nothing about the opposition that just rankles me a little bit I, I know it's a hard fought game but I think respect needs to be shown on both sides but I think in Elgo's case I don't think it was deliberate no. I think it was just a case of he was so caught up in the joy of the moment that maybe it slipped his mind but that's something that I think you should look at going forward yeah I think so and also you know he and again Dean Elgo was very very happy so as you rightly and rightly so I mean it's, it's an incredible achievement as as a test captain it's an incredible achievement as a player and as a team in all. Uh, I also felt that he carried on a bit too much at the press con well, not the press conference, but the after-match presentation, shall we say, about the message, his message that he gave to the players. And again, I think it's totally unintentional. I really don't think he meant to, but if you remember, 
you know, for about two or three minutes, every question that Pommy and Bangwa asked him, he referred back to uh, Dean Elgar, that is referred back to the message that he had sent to the players. And Dean Elgar, I don't think, is a, is a very uh, big-headed person. I, I, I think it is just, as you rightly say, caught up in the moment. And you, you could actually hear towards the end, he, he was running out of things to say, just because he was so incredibly excited. Mm, totally. I, I, yeah. I read that exactly the same way as you do. So I don't really have a problem with that. I think it's just something that he needs to be aware of going forward because it's obviously a fiercely competed series, but at the end of it all, once the hands are shaken and once the uh, the action is, has been completed, I think respect needs to be shown on both sides. Both it's just sides, something he yeah. needs to be aware of. Michael, I wanted, there's two players I really do need to talk about and want to talk about them in depth. The first is Temba Bavuma. Hasn't he just... You know, you know what I love about Temba is that there was a time when he felt when he came in the middle order that he needed to just survive, you know, and, and not necessarily score runs. So because he ended up often batting with the tail, as again, unfortunately, was the case throughout the series, or certainly through big parts of the series, Temba Bavuma back, say, three or four years ago, didn't particularly look to score runs because he obviously had such value on his wicket and wanted to make sure that he was there for his country and not give it away. What we're seeing now is Temba Bavuma, regardless of whether he's batting with a top-order batsman, a middle-order batter like himself, or with the tail, he's now very, very um, conscious of the fact that he needs to be scoring runs. So even when he's comprehensively beaten outside the off-stump, the next ball, be it a defensive stroke or a cracking square cut or a cover drive, or, to me, the shot that he played to the, throughout the series that was absolutely delightful, those straight drives down the ground, mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful. Regardless of what it is that, you know, he completely put the ball that beat him outside the off stump, uh, or maybe a ball that, that nipped back off the seam. Anyway, a ball that got the better of him in the previous delivery was forgotten about, and he moved on to the next ball, and he played it with confidence. And I'm, I, I really love his, his work ethic and his commitment. I understand that we all want him to convert the starts that he gets into very big hundreds. It will happen. He's a good player. It may happen in New Zealand. We don't know. But I'm sure you agree with me. The way that he went about his business in, in the intent of wanting to score runs as opposed to the survival technique that he, and again, unintentionally, I'm sure it was unintentionally, was doing a couple of years ago, shows you how he has matured as a cricketer as well. Couldn't agree with you more there, Dean. I think the word that epitomizes Temba Babuma for me is being in control, maybe two words. Um, <laughs> he's in control of situations. He walks to the crease, even though he's diminutive in stature, he walks in there and he has a personality about him. He has an invincibility about him. And he's certainly come on magnificently as a cricketer. He takes control when the ball is there to hit, he hits it. His cover drives are immaculate. He's got a, a good square cut, a little clip off his legs through mid-wicket. As you say, the straight drives as well. He's got all the shots. He's able to turn over the strike and he's so quick between the wickets. That was another feature of his batting, whoever he was batting with. Be it with Alga, be it with Rassi van der Dissen or Peterson or whoever it was during the series, you push into a gap and immediately set off and he back himself to get home. And that rotation of the strike is so significant because it, it just irks the opposition and it brings the, them in closer and then gaps start appearing. So I think he's, he's very much in control. He keeps the scoreboards ticking over. I know in the one-day game and maybe in the T20 game he's criticised that he doesn't have a strike rate that's right up there with some of the other players in the team. But he's shown he can hit the ball out the park. He, 
He's shown he can keep the scoreboard moving. And he's got his own technique, as I say, pushing into gaps for singles and punishing the loose ball. He just looks in control and a very, very strong mind as well. He seems to know exactly what is happening. Not much faces him out there on the field. And he's a superb fielder as well. Let's not uh, forget to mention the fact that he saved so many runs in the field with some wonderful stops. He gets the ball in quickly. He's so quick across the turf. I know he did drop a catch in this in this series, but it was a very difficult one at that. But he certainly goes out there and has an aura about him, and he's one of the prized wickets that I'm sure the opposition are, are dying to to get because once te- Temba goes, it sort of opens up that lower middle order and maybe going into the tail, depending on where we are in the innings. But certainly he has an aura about him, and his place in the side cannot be questioned under any circumstances. I think he's going to have a very, very good tour in New Zealand. Mm, I think so. It's, I'm telling you now, it's around the corner. You, you, it is around the corner. Um, one last thing about Temba before we move on to the next player I want to talk about. Not just because of uh, that they are similar in stature, but Temba Bavuma, the, the way that he goes about his business and some of the shots that he plays. Isn't he very reminiscent of Zimbabwe's Tatenda Taibu? Yes, that's a very, very good comparison now that you mention it. Indeed so. Uh, Tiber for me was, even though he used to bat down the order, and obviously you saw a lot more of him than I did. I only saw him maybe in a handful of innings. But again, a prized wicket, uh, even down the order, he would contribute so many runs. He just had a something about him let's just say some sort of aura about him his ability to keep the scoreboard ticking as well his ability not to be phased by situations i think that's an, an outstanding comparison d so let's move on to lungingiri i i do not have enough praise for this man you know it, it, i mean we're going to talk about marco jansen just now but lungingiri in my opinion on many occasions was a bit of an unsung hero you know he's a big strong a little bit of a workhorse almost um but goodness me, didn't he put in some good performances? Well, I, I especially remember the the third day. Uh, there was a particular spell where he just he bowled uh, when he took three for twelve in seven overs. I think it was in a spell of seven overs and picked up three for twelve. Just that that accuracy and and, and because he's a big, strong strong man, he, he gets a bit of bounce, gets the ball to move around, and he's pretty lively in terms of pace as well. There are a couple of things about Lungi and Gedi that are worth mentioning. The way he took a situation on the second day of the test series, which was actually day three at Centurion because day two was rained out, when India had completely dominated the first day, South Africa bowled poorly in the morning session and lost their grip on that test match. And India were, I think, 272 for three, or thereabouts, going into day two. And the way Ngidi bowled on that what was effectively the, the second morning of the test, although the it was actually day, day three. Yeah, yeah. He ripped out that Indian middle order, lower order, virtually single-handedly, had a little bit of help from Rabada at the other end, but he bowled brilliantly in that innings and brought South Africa back into the test match when nobody expected it to happen. And then, as you say, yesterday, a critical, critical spell. South Africa needed to apply the pressure. And the situation was that Elga had gone to Rabada over and over and over again. Rabada was basically bowled out. He was exhausted. He'd put in so much effort and uh, Marco Janssen also did a fantastic job. His captain going to him and sort of going to the well one more time and Janssen would produce time after time after time. But you felt that when Ulifia came on, there was a bit of a release of pressure. For me, Ulifia was the, one of the big disappointments of, of the series. I just don't think he had the intensity. He certainly didn't have the pace. I don't know what's happened in the last two years, why he's lost so much pace. But 
he holds the loose balls, he releases pressure. It's almost like the Yadav of the Indian attack, that when he comes on, you feel there's a bit of a release of pressure. So it was vital for Lungi and Gigi to keep things tight. And as you say, he bowled that wonderfully economical spell, just tightened the game, frustrated the Indians, and nipped out three wickets in a short space of time that allowed South Africa to get into that tail, even though Punt was batting so brilliantly at the other end. Because if Punt had had more support, he could have batted another half hour, an hour, and South Africa would have had to chase another 50 or 60. And it could have put a, a lot more pressure on that run chase. So that spell from Lungi and Gigi was critical, and I thought he did extremely well as a result. Wouldn't it be nice to have a bowling attack that has something like this? Kachiso Rabada, Andrich Norkia, Lungi Ngidi, mm-hmm. and Marco Janssen to go to New Zealand. I think that would be incredible, although I don't know how much the New Zealand pitchers would would help that sort of attack necessarily. I still think they'd have far too, far too much for some of the New Zealand batsmen, but uh, that would be great. I'd, I'd prefer that, that sort of attack if we were going to a place like Perth, Australia, for example, Perth, because yeah. I think that yeah. could be absolutely awesome there. Since the New Zealand wickets are very much lower and slower these days, but I still think that that's, that attack is going to do wonders. So let's hope, as you say, Andrich Nokia comes back into the side because I think South Africa really need him. Sonny Gavaskar was saying in commentary earlier today that he felt that with Nokia being out of the series, it certainly gave the Indians a big fillip and gave them a, a boost to their confidence, knowing that they didn't have to deal with him as well. So just a reminder that this podcast is being recorded after the what turned out to be the fourth and final day of the third test match between South Africa and India and South Africa winning that series by two test matches to one. With me, Dean Duplessis and Michael Abramson. Um, now, yes, so the New Zealand pitches are lower and slower. I, I, I totally agree with you. But having said that, how many times haven't we seen New Zealand, the New Zealand quickies actually win games for New Zealand, probably because they're used to their conditions. But you look at Trent Bolt, Tim, Tim Southey, Kyle Jamieson, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of the fourth seamer. Well, they, they actually mix and match quite a bit, don't they? Um, so yes, although we, we often refer to the, the New Zealand pitchers being low and slow, but if you get it right there, I mean, I actually remember Mornay Morkel having a sensational tour of New Zealand on, on those pitchers with his pace and bounce back in, what, what would that have been, 2012, I think it was, where he bowled his heart out. So I think it would be good for South Africa to, to pick the strongest possible um, team. My one worry, Michael, is... Is there any other batter who was not a part of this recently concluded series that could be drafted into the side? Because as well as what Marco Janssen bowled, and as useful as he is, I really don't think at this moment in his career, that is, that is a number seven Mm -hmm. batter. No, I totally agree with you there. Look, the... The player who would possibly be knocking on the door would be somebody like Saurel Ervia, who's been um, outstanding in terms of his domestic cricket. He's made big, big runs domestically. So if depending on how you want to play with the balance of the side, I mean, what you could do potentially is open, with, but then you'd be opening with two left-handers, which might be a bit of a problem in terms of the, the mix there. But open maybe with Elgar and Ervia, have Peterson at three, maybe at Markram at four, and then uh, you have maybe Rassi coming in at five and Bavuma down at six, which would give South Africa far more solidity in their top six. But then the problem is if, if you choose to play a spinner, if you're going to uh, play uh, a keeper and then a spinner, then you've only got space for three quicks yeah. effectively and you, 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 you lose the balance in terms of that because we don't have a, a, 
a sort of full-scale all-rounder, as South Africa used to have in the, in the old days, somebody who can do both disciplines at a good enough level to be able to justify their place in the side as a batsman and a bowler. So I think that if you're going to go that route, then you you, you sort of temper with the, the balance of the side that they're trying to get right at the moment. But by the way, the other the other Simo that we forgot about was Wagner or Wagner, or oh. whatever he chooses to pronounce his name <laughs> yes, these days. And, yeah. and he does get a lot of bounce out yes. of the New Zealand pitches. He yeah. certainly bends his back. So... We'll wait and see what happens there. But Dean, I think the, the balance of the side, I'd like your thoughts perhaps on, on batting Markram maybe down at number four. Uh, do you think that that's a possible suggestion or do you think South Africa should persevere with him as an opener, feeling that he'll come right? He just needs, he's just one big innings away from getting that confidence to go on and continue with his test career as he has done in the past. Look, um, certainly in the in the shorter formats, Aidan Markram has been very useful at number four because he's bullied the bowling. You know, he's he reminds me of so many cricketers. He, he reminds me a little bit of a of a right-handed Matthew Hayden. He reminds me of Graham Hick in many ways because he uses his height and and very similar to to Graham Hick. I think Hick is just was just slightly better in playing spin, um, whereas uh, Markram obviously is much better than Graham Hick in the pool, the pulling of the short ball department. Um, I, Michael, to be very honest with you, Aidan Markram has been out of sorts for a while. Now, I have to tell you, and I'm being very biased because he is my favorite South African cricketer at this particular moment, but I do feel that maybe he needs a little bit of time out and away from the team. I'm not sure that we should be persevering with him at this particular moment in time. I personally would like to see him as a test opener. There's nothing wrong in being forceful. We saw how successful Matthew Hayden was, even Graham Smith as well. They are left-handers, admittedly, but they play a similar game. Very big, muscle-bound, strong men. And and, and I think maybe... um, now, we again are going to be fiddling with the balance of the side and we're going to bring in somebody lesser experienced into the side. What are your thoughts on bringing Zubair Hamza into the side and, and getting him to the top of the order and maybe giving Matthew, I beg your pardon, giving a mate, uh, Aiden Markram a bit of a breather? I think that's definitely a thought. It's something that can be considered. I haven't been following how Hamza has been doing in in domestic cricket at the moment, um, so I'm not sure what his form is like currently. When he came in to the side on his debut test of the Wanderers, he certainly looked composed. He looked like he has the temperament. He has the ability to to play a part in that middle order, certainly. But uh, for me, I just think at this moment that Markram is so, he's so talented and he's, as you say, he has the ability to open things up and to keep the scoring ticking over and I think his, his main issue at the moment is vulnerability against the new ball. Mm. He just doesn't seem to have as solid a technique as I'd like for a, from a test opener who's being exposed to so many quality bowlers all around the world who are using the new ball effectively. And personally for me, I think Markram at number four would solve a lot of problems. But as you say, it's then a toys with a balance of the side and it means South Africa have to bring in somebody else to open. I certainly don't want to see them promoting Keegan Peterson to no, opener. No, I think no, Peterson no. has to stay at three. Yeah. I think he's proved that he's comfortable in that position. He does a wonderful job there for South Africa. So I'd hate to see them sort of toying with that top order by bringing Peterson to open. I think maybe they need to look at a specialist opener and probably the next one on the list would be Sarol Erbia, who is has been prolific in domestic cricket, but who knows how he'll go at test match level. But unless he gets the chance, we'll yeah. never know. Yeah, so, absolutely. 
uh, for me, that is, uh, I'd like, I hear what you're saying about maybe Markram needs a rest and maybe maybe he does, but I just think he's, he's got a lot of test match experience. It's just that new ball for me that every time he goes out to bat, you feel as if he's the wicket that's going to go down first. So I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing him drop down the order a little bit and let him come in with the ball a lot older, maybe with the opening bowlers no longer in the attack and your, your first change bowlers bowling, all a bit older because then I think Markram would not be nearly as vulnerable and I think his technique would, would override that situation and he'd be able to do a lot of damage at number four. So those are my thoughts at the moment. But I'm certainly not against the idea of somebody like Hamza or somebody else, maybe a Ryan Rickleton or who knows who um, in, who's in form in domestic cricket, maybe coming in and being given a chance to see what they can do. I'm so glad you said that Kevin Peterson should not be opening the batting. You know, I've, I've often had this infuriating conversation with people when your opening batters continue to struggle. And then they will say something like, well, you might as well get him to open the batting because he's in so early on in the piece. But you may very possibly have a situation where Dean Alga and Aidan Markram or whoever it is get off to a very good start, lay the platform, and at 150 for one approaching T on day one or 160 for one, you then have Kev- uh, uh, Keegan Peterson coming in and batting a number three. I, I, like, I, I love the fact that you don't want to tamper with him and, and get him to open the batting. I think that they, they are very specific people who do that now whether it whether they do continue with Aidan Markram whether Sawyer comes into the side whether it's um, um, uh, Zubair Hamza it doesn't matter whatever they decide but Keegan Peterson is at number three and I believe he should spend as much time as possible and making that position his very own I agree with you entirely as uh, as I've said I, mean, I, I don't think He's young in his test career. I think he's played only, what is it, five test matches or thereabouts. So you don't want to be juggling his position because even though, as you say, a wicket could go down early and the man could be coming in very early and still facing the new ball with the opening bowler still operating, it's a very different mindset when you're going into open or you're going in at number three. The preparation is different. I've never played test cricket, so I can't comment on that exactly, but just going with what I've heard from people esteemed people in the game like uh, Hashim Amla for example who has spoken about this at length and it's number three is a very specialized position and now that you've sorted out your number three position you don't want to be toying with that and moving maybe Rassif under distance about a three or either you want to mess with the order to try and accommodate maybe an out-of-form batsman you've got to sort that that problem out and deal with that problem independently and not move the whole team sort of make as as minimal changes as you can to everybody else so you don't cause massive disruptions in the side. So for me, Peterson's got to stay at three. For me, um, I thought Rassi van der Dusen, maybe number four is a little bit high for him. Maybe he should bat five, but then uh, then you need a forceful batsman at number four. So for me, ideally, I'd like to see Elgar and A.N. other, probably Ervia at the moment, to open. I'd like Peterson at three, Markram at four, Rassi at five, and Bavuma at six. Uh, even all the other way around, Bavuma at five and Rassi at six. People might say if that is the case that you are you're not giving your number five and six a chance to bat for long periods of time. But I think that lineup for me as a top six would have a lot more solidity in it and would deal with a lot of situations a lot more comfortably. Um, and then the, the only problem with that, of course, is then you have to have your keeper, presumably Verena coming in at seven, and then you've either got to go four quicks. Uh, or alternatively three quicks and a spinner, and then you are taking a cog out of your bowling machine, out of your bowling armory. Yeah, yeah. So 
Uh, I think not having a quality all-rounder who can fill that number seven, number eight position is a problem for South Africa. They've either got to go six batsmen, a keeper, and four bowlers, or five batsmen, um, and then play Marco Janssen at seven if that's how they choose to go, and not weaken the bowling attack, and back their bats, their batters and say, okay, this is what we are doing. We back you to get the runs, and hopefully our bowling attack is strong enough to be able to overcome any shortcomings that might happen by going in a batsman light. So I think I think it's a problem created by the fact that there isn't a quality all-rounder at the moment who could fill those two positions. Okay, so what would be wrong in taking Timber Bavuma from number six and getting an imminent uh, up uh, at number four? Getting him at number four? Um, that's, that's certainly possible, but, uh, but I mean, what are you then what are you doing at number six, uh, for well, example? Or, or, or how, what is your balance then in the top six? Well, no, no. I, I, so I, I suppose we're basically just getting back to Temba Bavuma in the sense that we often seem stranded uh, on 30 yes. or, or 40 odd not out or getting out after he's reached 50 because he's got this... Um, should we say obsession? I don't know if that's the right word, but he understands that now he needs to score runs and at the same time stay at the crease. Whereas getting Temba Bavuma in at number four and maybe having Rassi van der at number five and then, well, whoever it is that you want at, at, at number six. So you'll then have, because Temba is quite experienced now, whereas Rassi van der is less experienced. So you can have him at number five and then, um, well, whichever you know, batter you feel should be at number six, if you understand what I'm saying. So I'm still of mm-hmm. the opinion that Aidan Markram should be given a bit of a breather. Maybe get him back playing domestic cricket and, and where he then can figure out at domestic cricket. And I don't know how much domestic cricket South Africa still has left. But um, getting Markram back playing domestic cricket and seeing whether he's more suited to be batting at number four or whether he can sort his technique out and open the batting. So that, that I guess, is the point I'm making. Leaving Markram out entirely, okay. getting Temba Bavuma in at number four, and then you can juggle with your batters five and six as to who bats where. Okay. Uh, I, look, I hear your argument. I think it's you've certainly made some valid points. I don't have a problem with Temba Bavuma batting at four. I think his technique is certainly good enough. I think he scores quickly enough, and he rotates the strike pretty well. And especially if uh, if you have him coming in at four and Elgar's still there, which more often than not is the case, that yeah. Elgar uh, tends to prize his wicket maybe more importantly than maybe some of the other batsmen around. So if you have that situation and, and Elgar's still batting, then you've got that left-hand, right-hand combination. So I don't, in in principle, have a problem with, with Tempo Bavuma batting at four so that he doesn't get stranded at the end. I hear what you're saying about that. For me, I still feel, especially now going on this tour of New Zealand, South Africa have got a lot of young players in the side. They need some of the more experienced heads. And I think if you are bringing in maybe a Hamza, as you suggest, to perhaps fill that number six position. You are bringing in another young player. You've got Janssen in the side. You've got Peterson, who are fairly new in their career. If you go with a specialist opener like, for example, Erbia, and you bring him in, uh, you've got a, a fairly young attack. You've really only got two or three, and you've got Verena as well, who's very new in the test match right. arena. So you've really only got Rabada, who's been around there for some time. You've got Dean Algar and maybe uh, another, perhaps Bavuma, as your experienced players. So by I hear what you're saying about Markram. For me, I still feel Markram should bat down the order and should stay in the side because he's got that experience of having played test cricket for a far longer time than you did somebody else who would come in. And I think then you are losing the, the, the dressing room experience and that, that know-how um, by having a lot of young players in the side at once who are still 
forging their test career. So for me, um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we finally found something that we can debate and sort of perhaps <laughs> disagree on and have a healthy yes. argument about it. Yeah. For me, I'd like to see Markram given a chance at four and let's see how he goes. And if he fails, maybe in the test or two, then by all means, then drop him, give him a rest and bring somebody else in, whoever's next in the pecking order. But for, for me, I still think he's got the experience. I think he's got the ability to take a game away from the opposition if he bats for any length of time. And I think his main problem at the moment is against the new ball. Uh, so that's the way I see it. But I hear your arguments and I think they're valid on, on both sides. Mm, yeah, they're v- very valid. I, I, both of us. Um, my, my fear is that South Africa's next assignment will be in, in terms of test cricket is in England. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of you know new ball bowlers there. So again, I guess you know if we give somebody else a chance now, that works. That gives Aiden Markram chance to work on his game. Whereas if we decide that we're going to run with Aiden Markram for the next two Test matches and he doesn't perform, and people say no, he needs a bit of a breather, then that young player that you have been talking about will be exposed to if they're still fit and so on, James Anderson and Stuart Broad, which is going to be an absolute nightmare. Mm. Uh, I hear you and you've got a very very valid point but I would in a way counterbalance that with two arguments number one I'd say if Markram does not fail let's say he he, he's, because he's got it in him and he's been getting out to some very good balls that have nipped off the seam that get him out what balls yes. that nip back which is more likely to happen with with a newer ball he tends to get caught in the crease a little bit uh, so if he if he is able to play that beginnings or just get a score behind his name then suddenly the confidence will return he's far too good a player to be out of form for long periods of yeah, time so yeah. that, that would be my one argument and my second argument is what i what i said in my previous answer is that you're taking a very ex- experienced member in terms of uh, test match experience out of the out of the side out of the dressing room effectively and replacing him with it with a young player so you don't have those experienced heads which i think are so important in tight situations in in test matches so that's that's that would be my counter argument but i hear again exactly what you're saying and you've got a good point if markram is tried and he does fail then obviously it's a step backwards. But if he doesn't fail, I think it could be a, a brilliant move to Ooh, he, get him back into form. So I suppose you can argue it both ways. The future will tell <laughs> what the selectors choose to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, if Markram does get back into form, I reckon I'd be probably one of the happy, happiest people around <laughs> because I, I've made no, no uh, secret about it. He is my favourite cricketer and it's just sad that he's going through this very rough patch. Is there a way back for Simon Harmer? For Simon Harmer, oh, that's interesting. I think now, um, I think any spinner there would be licking their lips at the prospect of what is going on. I think Keshav Maharaj was certainly underbold in the series, and when he was bold, he he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. So perhaps that 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 grip that he had on sort of the number one spinner's berth after this series might be a little bit lessened. And the door might be open for any of a number of spinners. George Linder, I know, for example, is is also a left-arm spinner. He's in the squad. He's tall. He's got the benefit of height. He's very much like Ashwin. He gets that bounce that we were talking about earlier. And he's got the variations in his bowling. So he's he's another man in there as well. Simon Harmer, obviously, um, as a right arm spinner he's he's got he's got plenty of experience now having played all around the world so i think that the door's open for for a spinner to stand up and 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 stake a claim because i don't think maharaj as experienced as he is uh covered himself in massive glory in the series admittedly his chances were limited but 
also with the bat, he seems to have lost a fair bit of confidence. So I think that's a bit of a worry also from a South African point of view. So it would be, for me, it's um, Maharaj, Markram and Duan Urifia were the disappointing aspects of, of the series for South Africa. But there were so many positives that I suppose in the end, uh, the, the good outweighed the bad, if you like. Mm, uh, 100%. Let's talk a bit about the Indian side. Would it be fair to say mm-hmm. that Shadil, uh, Shadil Thakur was India's man of the series with everything that he had to offer? Oh, for, uh, with, without question. After the first test match, I thought, what are they seeing in this guy? Why are they picking him <laughs> ahead of Anishan Sharma or ahead of a Yadav or ahead of whoever else they had in terms of their bowling options? But he certainly came good. He bowled brilliantly in that test match at the Wanderers. Absolutely brilliantly. Destroyed the South African batting. Hit that, hit that crack on the pitch relentlessly, time after time after time. And with the bat, he played some very useful innings as well and just continued to give India the momentum that they needed. So undoubtedly a find. A huge, huge prospect for the future. And I certainly see big things from him. I hope he gets an opportunity to bowl on pitches that suit his game. But he's, he's certainly bends his back and puts every effort in. For me, he was far more impressive than Yadav, for example, who's a far more seasoned campaigner. Uh, but Yadav, I mean, the way he bowled in this in this test, I was very disappointed with him. He bowled, I think, one or two good deliveries that I can remember. But every time he came on, there was a release of pressure. And for me, uh, Takur kept that pressure on all the time, both with bat and ball, but particularly the way he bowled at that one and that wondrous test was phenomenal. So I agree with you totally. Yeah. Massive find for India. Massive find. And I mean, he just he just effortlessly stepped into the breach, didn't he? Because Mohamed Siraj was struggling with the uh, the hamstring problem that he picked up. And there's another very feisty, uh, very competitive character in Mohamed Siraj. And, and, and Shadow Thakur just, you know, effortlessly and seamlessly said, all right, well, no problem. I've now become the third seamer. Let me show you what I can do. And as you say, very, mm. very useful with the bat, I love the story that former South African all-rounder and former South African coach Eric Simons uh, talks about when when they were in the IPL, and um, um, the team that Eric Simons coaches got very very close to winning a game, but then ended up losing, and it was because Takur was out LBW, and he was so heartbroken, and he said, "I want to become a better batter," and he went away, and he has worked so hard at his game. So undoubtedly, Shadil Takur is India's player of the series uh, the way that he bats and bowls and and even in the field he's 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 a real he's one of those real 100 percenters yes totally agree with you uh, i thought he was fantastic the way he stepped up every time his captain went to him he kept the pressure on and i thought the pressure was released a little bit when siraj was bowling at the wondrous maybe because of the fact that he wasn't fully fit or when yadav came on to bowl but certainly when after the, the, the key Indian bowlers, Bumrah and Shami, had sort of bowled themselves into the ground. Captain Kohli or KL Rahul, when it's during that wondrous yes. test, when Kohli obviously was out the side briefly, every time the captain went to Takur, he delivered. He delivered over and over again. He kept trying right up until the end. So undoubtedly a huge prospect for India and gives them also wonderful balance in their side. He's the sort of player that I think South Africa would love to have down the order, a player who gives you bits of everything. And uh, just to back up the, this, this, the attack that South Africa have, I think a player like Takur, who offers so much of everything, and that enthusiasm, that encouragement, that will to try all the time, is maybe what the South African side is lacking at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's a very, very fair point that you make, and, and uh, hopefully that will be rectified sooner rather than later. And then, of course, Jasper Boomra. This man is incredible because he's good with the new ball, 
but it's that in-swinging Yorker. And, uh, you know, he's just so deceptive because he doesn't really have a, I suppose, a fast and furious run-up. He, he just approaches the crease almost casually, and then he sends down this absolute rocket, and you have no idea whether it's going to move away from you or whether it's going to swing back and wrap you on the pads or shatter your stumps. I thought the South Africans did remarkably well to keep him out this morning when he looked massively dangerous. So he, he looked like he could, he could rip through a side very, very quickly. He, he told us during this test match, he told all the television viewers of the story about his run-up and why his run-up is so short, yes. that when he was, was practicing and growing up, he was a, had a limited run-up on the field that he was playing in. Uh, and as a result, he realized that he could get that pace of a shortened run-up. And then eventually, when he played on a normal-sized field, he realized he didn't need that longer run-up to be able to get the pace that he does. So he bowls off the short run-up, but absolutely incredible the way he can move the ball in, almost like an, uh, a, an off-break, if you like, yeah, yeah. through the air right. that moves at pace and sort of comes in and, and, and attacks the batsman. And then he can get ones to straighten, and then he can get the delivery to go away. So as a batsman, you never really know which which delivery you need to play at, which delivery you don't need to play at. He's, he's had batters during the series uh, bold shouldering arms because they thought they could leave balls alone and they've nipped back. Aiden Markram. So he's, he's, he's dangerous. Uh, Markram indeed. And then also when he bowls to Algar, he gets the ball to go across Algar and Algar's vulnerable to being uh, caught in the slips. We've I know that in the past when I was commentating on a series years ago, I did research on Algar and I think there was a situation where I think if memory serves, 22 innings in a row in Test Match Cricket, Algo was out either caught by the keeper or caught in the slips. So that ball that goes across him, obviously most batsmen are vulnerable to it, but Algo was particularly so. And Bumrah, to me, bowling over the wicket to the left-hander is hugely dangerous as well. But a, a, a phenomenal bowler. He just kept going today for his captain. He bowled a long spell, and I thought to myself, surely Kohli needs to take him off and give him a rest, and that will release the pressure. He came off for a short while. Takur came on. That kept the pressure on, and then back came Bumrah again in that uh, period of maybe half an hour before lunch. So Bumrah gave it everything, and I think that's maybe why he didn't bowl after lunch today because he was just so spent. He put he bent he bent his back. He deserved a lot more reward than he got in the end. But a phenomenal bowler, and his action suggests that he should be with the chest on action that he does have suggests he should be able to bring the ball in rather than away. But he's got this ability to move it both ways. So, uh, in huge talent in South Africa, I think, did remarkably well to play him as well as they did. Well, Michael Oberinson, you and I could carry on talking until the next New Year. <laughs> uh, but I suppose uh, all good, good things do come to an end. It's been absolutely wonderful hearing your insights and, and having lively discussions. And I've uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And, of course, you are going to be back on our podcast of that. There is no doubt. Thank you so very much for taking time out. You are an incredibly busy man. Uh, I mean, just say, tell us learning Spanish. Well, you, you got your Spanish lessons and teaching people <laughs> online. When do you actually have time to watch the cricket? <laughs> For this particular series, I made the time, Dean. But what I do is I, I watch the cricket. I keep an eye on it and I'm busy listening to Spanish podcasts because I'm trying to improve my Spanish and trying to get fluent in it because it helps me with my skills in doing a lot of things that I'm doing. Uh, so I'm working with that. I'm about to go and teach a student statistics now online, a master's student to, with whom I'm consulting to help her get her research submitted and prepare for exams. So yeah, it's, my life is, is interesting. Let's put it that way. But I wouldn't have missed this test series for the world. I think it's been absolutely incredible and a great privilege to be on your podcast again. Dean, I see it's 
it's really picking up. I see your your listenership is improving rapidly, and I wish you every success. I just hope lots and lots of sponsors come on board and support you because your passion knows no bounds. And I wish you many, many, many more uh, podcasts going forward with some wonderful guests that you're able to line up. And let's hope people really contribute to this because it's such an exciting project and it, it deserves massive listenership. So Dean, I wish you every success with that. And thank you so much for having me on as, as, as often as you have done. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Well, thank you very much indeed for those incredibly uh, kind words, Michael. As I said, it's been uh, an absolute joy being with you as well. Thank you very much indeed. And as for you listening to the podcast, thank you very much indeed for listening. We do hope that you enjoy them. Should you wish to contribute in any way in terms of sponsorship, you're very welcome to get in touch with me on my Twitter handle, which is at Dean underscore Plessy. And uh, you can then send me a direct message and we will take it from there. But in the meantime, please stay safe. And uh, we will be back with a, a few more podcasts. One of them that you can look forward to is match... Uh, is umpire. I was about to say match referee, but umpire and a man who probably is the best umpire in the business at the moment, South Africa's Mare Erasmus. That'll be coming up very, very soon. But uh, thank you so much for the, listening to the podcast, and I'll be back uh, pretty soon. Until then, take care and goodbye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.